Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. These last few chapters in the story, well, they've, uh, they've been a little less than encouraging, wouldn't you agree? Right at the start of Epiphany, a couple of weeks ago, we had David and Bathsheba. I can imagine some people maybe here, I know I certainly did, wanting to read, or while they're reading, wanting to scream out, No! David, don't do it! Then we read about Solomon as he was descending slowly but ever so surely into the pit of idolatry. And we likely felt very disappointed that someone who was so wise could do something so very foolish. Then we read about Ahab and Jezebel, how they persecuted poor Elijah. I don't know about you, but I kind of found myself wanting to just jump in there and protect that man of God from their cruelty and from their malice. Then just, just last week, we finally saw what came of the sins of Israel. Her prompt destruction and exile. We might have thought to ourselves, surely, I mean surely, if there was something that would wake the people of Judah up from their sins, it would be the exile of their neighbors, their brothers to the north. As we know, that wasn't the case. Even after the proclamations and prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, just to name a few of the prophets, and the reforms of Hezekiah and Josiah, In our chapter for today, we read how Judah has resorted to her old antics. Trampling upon the poor and the weak, cavorting herself around in spiritual, and I'm sure in some cases, physical adultery, and living in absolute, unmitigated self-indulgence. And now here we are. Judah has not paid attention to the warnings. She has not listened to the prophets who were sent to her, but instead she's gone down the same path that Israel did. She's ignored, heckled, and even persecuted the messengers of the Lord. And now, now she's going to pay. As I was reading reading this, I kind of thought to myself, Had I been a resident of Jerusalem at this time, I would have been downright terrified by the words that we read for today. If you have the story with you, they're on page 241, and they're actually from 2 Chronicles chapter 36. These are the words that would terrify me. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. My knees would have been just a shaken if I had heard the words of the prophet Jeremiah 
And those are on page 242 if you have the story with you. And Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I am about to turn against you, Judahites, the weapons of war that are in your hands against the Babylonians and the king of Babylon who are, who are besieging you outside the city wall. And I will gather them inside this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. Now if those words aren't at least a little bit unsettling, I think that might be a bit of a problem. Because see, these words, they should have driven the people of Jerusalem to their knees in repentance. The God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true God, Yahweh, who had done so much to preserve them from their enemies, was now turning his righteous hand against them. But they didn't repent. And during the siege that followed, many died of starvation, many were killed at the hand of the Babylonians, and most of those who were left alive, who were likely starving and exhausted, had heavy shackles slapped on them and they were marched a thousand miles off through the wilderness to a life of subjection and subjugation in Babylon. We can kind of hear their weeping, their moaning, the clanking of the chains that, if I can borrow from Jacob Marley, the chains they had forged in their wicked lives, link by link and yard by yard. But the export of these people who were called God's people, that was only a part of the lamentable destruction that the Babylonians doled out. Jerusalem, the last stronghold and the crown jewel of the once mighty kingdom of Judah, had fallen. Her walls, they were decimated. Her palace, it was demolished. And the temple, the place where God's own glory dwelled, had been desecrated and destroyed. It's honestly little wonder that Jeremiah would write a book called Lamentations. He is so grieved by what has happened to God's people and to God's holy city that he cannot help but weep. Our lesson for today from the Old Testament is in the latter half of chapter three of Lamentations. I'd like you to pause for a minute and listen to part of the first half of that chapter. Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely he turns his hand against me again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. 
He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. I want to make something very clear here. Jeremiah himself was not guilty of the sins of Judah. Indeed, obviously, he went out of his way to preach the God's message of repent. Yet he still suffered horribly as a result of their sin. It can be the same for us sometimes, in one way or another. You know, we end up paying the price for someone else's actions. So this, of course, begs the question, how can we sometimes be like Judah? Or how can we sometimes be like Jeremiah? What difficulties, heartaches, trials, temptations, or sins are you yourselves struggling with? I know that may be a question sometimes asked quite a bit in sermons, but I don't want that question to pass you by. I want you to truly think about it. Are you neck deep in financial problems? Are you suffering from some terrible illness? Are you struggling in your flesh against one addiction or perhaps another? Do you find yourself longing for something or someone in an admittedly unhealthy, unfaithful, idolatrous way? Have you in some way, shape, or form felt the sorrow and deep grief that Jeremiah has so eloquently and tragically related? You know, the sort of weight and pain that's, it's soul deep. It transcends the ability to describe how you're feeling. I'm sure some of you have. And for those of you who have not, you are blessed indeed. And it is my most fervent prayer that if God wills, he would spare you that cup of bitterness. But if he doesn't, if it turns out that God allows you to suffer some of these things, I want you always, always to remember what Jeremiah followed that soul-felt heart of cry anguish with. The book of Lamentations is really, it's an amazing book. Personally, it's one of my favorites. And the reason is, is because it gives such a stark contrast between law and gospel. Verse 21 of chapter 3. It's what immediately follows what I just read a few moments ago. It's the exact middle of chapter 3. And 
It's also the exact middle of the book. And it marks this incredible, dramatic shift. Listen to what Jeremiah follows all that with. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, Jeremiah, he doesn't try to excuse God. Indeed, especially considering this case of Judah, he says that God was right to execute such justice as a punishment and a discipline for them. Neither does Jeremiah just try to shrug things off and say, eh, get over it. Things aren't so bad. They're going to get better. Let's turn that frown upside down. No, no, I'm pretty sure a positive attitude isn't going to help these people who are in exile. What will help them is telling it like it is, calling it what it is, and pointing them to the truth. Patience, it's a hard thing to have especially when we're in the midst of suffering. And Jeremiah understood that. He knew it very, very well. And yet he says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. His hope gave him patience in his tribulations. See, this is, this might be a little hard for us to understand because it's so antithetical to our American culture where we're so used to instant gratification. We want to be done with this addiction now. We want this illness to be gone now. We want our marriage problems to be over and done with now. Hear me, I'm not saying that this desire for evil things in our lives to be finished is a bad thing. Indeed, it's our recognition that something's not right and we want God to make it right. And again, I'm not saying that the reason for such hardships and tribulations is always to act as a sort of punishment for this sin or that one. But consider, consider these words from our man Luther. He says, let us persevere in faith and not to doubt or waver when some temptation comes on us. For note how generously God recompensed Isaac for his earlier temptation. He did so that we may know that he is not angry forever and that having his promises, we may patiently endure and conclude the Lord who has told me to believe will certainly keep his promise. Meanwhile, I will wait According to the exhortation, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. We Christians, of all people, certainly have the right to be patient and have hope. More than others, I would say. Because God has proven his faithfulness when he 
offered up his one and only son to be killed in our stead, and then he raised him again from the dead three days later. We confess with Simon Peter that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if he has conquered death, honestly, we've got nothing to fear. This is the hope that Jeremiah was living for. It's what gave him patience. It's what helped him to endure. And the same can be said of us as well. While we're walking through this world, like Jeremiah would most likely walk through the deserted and destroyed streets of Jerusalem, and the Judahites on their long march to Babylon, we are going to endure suffering. Some of it is going to be stuff that we bring on ourselves, but some of it, that won't be the case. In spite of it all, we will call to mind the promises of God and his great faithfulness. And therefore, we do and we will have hope. Hope that these shadows, they're but a passing thing. Hope that we will, like Jesus, rise from the dead on the last day. And hope that, like Jerusalem being rebuilt, all creation is going to be restored. And on that day, we're not going to have to have patience any longer. For everything is finally and forevermore going to be made right. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.